So there is a real war on talent. You know, if I look at some of the top candidates that I work with, you know, on a regular basis, they're, they've got, you know, job offers all over the place, all over the world. Um, some big multinationals, some of the big players like, you know, the Facebooks and the Googles, but lots of people in the more kind of startup um, or hyper growth businesses as well. So it really is a candidate's market. Thanks everyone for joining us today on Noah Capital's podcast. I'm extremely excited about today's episode. Um, we've, you know, Natalie Spree's been working in the region for a very long time. Um, we've known her for a while. She's someone who really understands how difficult it could be for companies, but also how crucial it is um, to build the right team and what it means to have a good, healthy team culture, but really everything else about hiring and talent in general. Um, Natalie, why don't you kick us off by telling us more about yourself? Hi, Stephanie. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm really excited for our discussion today as well. Um, yes, I've been in the region for 13 years now, a very long time. Seen so many changes in Dubai in the, in the tech scene um, since then. I actually started working at Dubizzle many, many years ago when they were a tiny company. Um, and I was head of HR there uh, for some time and moved onto um, another e-com business and then onto Property Finder for um, several years where I was head of HR there. Um, and I've since, I, I moved from Property Finder into um, more of a startup consulting role, but, but everybody seemed to um, need the talent acquisition more than anything. Um, and I met TrueSearch, uh, who are a US HQ'd um, executive search firm. Uh, a couple of years ago and we decided that I was going to launch them in the region here so um, we now have seven people the office is growing exponentially um, we are you know one of the leading um, exec search firms uh, we focus on private equity and VC backed um, technology led businesses predominantly so, so that's very interesting and, and it's quite niche but there's so much demand for that I was hoping you could walk us through the thinking behind true search and why it was important to launch in the region when you did? Yeah, I, I don't think it was something that TrueSearch globally were planning on. I, I'm not sure that you know how familiar they were with the region. Um, and obviously meeting me, who had been deeply embedded, especially in the tech industry, for, for so many years, when I started to look at you know, the potential in the region, I and mean, we've seen that, you know, what's been going on in the last couple of years, but I realised just how much potential there was. Um, the, obviously, competitive space is very important, but then more around the the challenges of, of finding talent in the region. Uh, we, we don't have access to a huge local talent pool here. You know, a lot of our resources have to be relocated. So um, it became clear that, yeah, there was a huge opportunity. Um, and as I said, you know, with the team expanding and the, the pace in which things are growing and the, the insane demand globally, but especially in the region as well for talent, it, it proved to be a very wise um, investment for the business globally. Yeah, definitely. So I, I wanted to unpack that for a second. It is extremely challenging to hire in the region, uh, particularly for certain roles. And why do you think that is? Is it, um, you know, lack of deep experience in similar roles in similar industries? Um, why is it so difficult to source people? Is it lack of interest, maybe, where people prefer to work with larger companies or multinationals? What is it? 
Well, I think if you're looking at the talent that's in the country, as we know, you know, we're made up of predominantly expats here. So people have moved into the region at some point and they're generally quite loyal to the business that they've moved into. They have an exit plan. Uh, so the great talent that's here very often won't be looking to move that much. Um, but in terms of those that, that have been in the region for quite some time, I think a lot of businesses do actually want people that have got experience outside of the region as well. Um, you know, we're quite uh, you know nascent here, the, the industry, and to have experience for more developed markets can often be quite desirable. So finding people that have maybe been here for quite a long time but haven't seen other types of businesses or, or a business that's gone through to a significant exit. Um, I think from a, from a business perspective, what people are looking for, I think we, we can be lacking that here. You mentioned that it's, it's become quite competitive. Um, is it because, you know, the space is, so companies right now, what we've seen is companies tend to grow much faster. Um, you know, the, 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 the time between different raises has become shorter and shorter. And there's many factors that play into that. Some of those funds go to hiring the right people and, you know, building the right senior teams. How competitive is that space right now? Are, are companies doing enough to attract this type of talent? Yeah, it's extremely competitive, um, especially as you mentioned earlier, certain roles. I think the key, the key ones that we're seeing is um, CTO. So a lot very deep um, on the CTO side, CFOs and recently uh, the CHRO chief people officer role I think because we've seen how challenging it's been in the last couple of years with regards to looking after your people remote working um, you know some of the challenges that businesses have faced financially you know having to make cuts it's been it's been really difficult and I think this is where we're seeing people not being you know as secure in their company so maybe there's a little bit more churn but in terms of building out senior team um, there seems to be a great deal of focus and I think I remember I, I think you and I had a, uh, a webinar just at the beginning of Covid actually um, if I recall and, and I was talking about how I foresaw and this was a global trend a lot of changes in senior management teams um, and that is definitely something that's kind of come true over this you know challenging 18 months and it still continues to do so as you said like the 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 fundraising um, businesses are moving much quicker. So where they they thought that they had the team that they needed, actually they're moving at such pace that they're now trying to um, to fill the leadership teams with more experienced people. You know, more senior hires um, with that global background. And because everybody is looking, then of course it's a, it's a big challenge. A, a challenge. So there is a real war on talent. You know, if I look at some of the top candidates that I work with, you know, on a regular basis, they're, they've got, you know, job offers all over the place, all over the world, um, some big multinationals, some of the big players like, you know, the Facebooks and the Googles, but lots of people in the more kind of startup um, or hyper growth businesses as well. So it really is a candidate's market. Um, so for the great people, yeah, you are going to have to do a lot to attract them to your business. And the main thing is your business, you know, these types of, um, you know, execs will be looking in depth at the potential. They all want to be, you know, really personally invested in the business and they're looking for the upside in, you know, three to five years, whenever it may be. So um, you have to be prepared to, uh, yeah, to be very transparent about the business and the potential for growth because candidates will be will be going into that um, from their side very deeply.
And we've discussed this before also, um, I think planning is key. And what we're seeing is sometimes founders get excited about filling a new role and you know, they have the funding to do so, um, but the expectation doesn't really match the reality of how much time and planning it's going to take. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, if I said to you, I get that once a week, you know, we need the C-level person and we need them within a month, um, I wouldn't be exaggerating. Um, it takes a long time. Uh, as I said, we don't have we don't have the talent pool here. Also, that that you might have if you were in New York or or London, a real hub where people will tend to stay fairly local. Um, so it does take a little extra time. And uh, with the best will in the world, uh, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite challenging. And then also at senior level. You've got to expect that most people have got a, a three-month notice period. Um, so this is even without the international relocation side of things. So realistically, I always say to people that you've got to give six months. You can always slow down you know, a job hunt, but you really don't want to be in a situation where you're panicking, you need to fill certain positions, so you're just going to take somebody because they are available quicker or they, just, they happen to be you know, looking for work now um, because those bad hiring decisions can actually cost you a lot more than a few extra months you know, in terms of... How your, how your business is going to grow, you know, aligning with the strategy and, and being able to achieve the goals by having the right person rather than just, you know, kind of filling a seat and making these quite knee-jerk reactions in terms of hiring because of, yeah, because of time and you haven't kind of looked ahead enough um, for the manpower. Yeah, for the right, the right person. So you mentioned earlier that you're also seeing um, more demand for CHRO roles. Yeah, very much. Has that purely been driven by, you know, 2020 or is it something that's sort of been brewing for a while? It's it's hard to tell, obviously, because of what happened last year. But this is an enormous global uh, trend. It's not it's not just the MENA region. I know that in the in the US, they're overwhelmed. It's one of our busiest practices there. And certainly here I'm seeing and hearing a lot more than before. So I would say it's probably got a lot to do with that, whether that also ties in with the um, ability to attract talent, um, businesses having to be more competitive with each other. As I said, you know, candidates are, are looking at multiple options. So as an employer, the best thing that you can do is make sure that your employer marketing is bang on point. You know, you have to be able to attract people into your business and the candidates will be looking at you know yourself and your competitors perhaps yeah in the same in the same city you know they could be looking at several opportunities in Dubai so what's going to make them come to you so a CHRO people are looking at not so much a traditional um, CHRO I would say Um, in in the region here they're looking for people that will um, improve employee engagement, improve culture. So work a lot in terms of internal communications and that external branding. You know, how do we become a great place to work, an employer of choice, um, so that we can attract the best talent because I think that has just been so challenging for everybody, even even at junior levels. Um, So I think that's been spurring the need to have senior level people people, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it seems like it's also driven by the sense of we may not be in best shape or there's still some ground to cover to attract the type of talent we want to attract and to make this the right culture, um, the right opportunity for this person. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's maybe, you know, 
some businesses may have taken their eye off the ball a little bit when it comes to their people. They may be starting to see some churn, as I referred to earlier, um, through COVID. It did seem that a lot of people were losing the kind of feeling of security in their business. Now, whether they, the business had had to make any kind of salary cuts or staff cuts, um, I'm not sure you know, if that was solely to blame, but there certainly seems to be a lot more people that are leaving companies that you would have assumed they'd been more loyal to for longer. Um, and that's at, that's at all levels. So perhaps some businesses are feeling that and the first thing they're seeing in is, yeah, lack of engagement and, and a bit more employee churn than they were used to previously. Okay, I want to pause on, on, on the HR f- function um, in, in general. And so we've seen multiple um, sectors sort of digitize in the past 10 years, but more noticeably so in the past three, four years. Um, and, and one of the spaces that's very interesting to observe is as the nature of employment sort of changes and evolves, the HR function is also evolving and adapting and in some instances digitizing as well. Um, what do you think are you know the first three key areas that really need to change um, in HR to just make it easier for uh, a company to function or to reduce friction? Mm. Um, I'm probably not going to make a lot of friends with my comments. <laughs> but I, think, I think most people that know me know my thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, the old-fashioned HR function is, you know, kind of generally not best suited for a lot of digital businesses here, um, you know, where the traditional kind of HR practice is quite um, reactive rather than proactive in a lot of spaces. I'm not saying this about all, um, you know, the hygiene factors that need to be done, um, some processes, procedures, holiday leave, you know, paying salary, all of that. But it really does have to evolve more. And a lot of businesses are doing it successfully. And a lot of HR practitioners are, you know, bringing this in as their businesses, you know, are more digital. I think there's always been talk about completely digitizing the HR function, um, so removing people from it. And now HR is never one of the favorite functions in any company um, as an employee, I, I know that myself. Um, but I think it is really important that you still have humans within the function. There's only so much technology can do. Yes, it can make a lot of the processes easier in terms of I suppose performance management, can you monitor things more? Yes. Um, I think we also need to, as HR practitioners, be more data-driven as well. Um, And yeah, I think there's a danger where one might assume that that means just purely using technology. But as I referred to earlier, a lot of the the clients that I'm working with now are looking for, say, much more human touch than they've ever had before in terms of wanting coaches and real people leaders um, in the HR function rather than those that, that are, you know, traditional uh, and doing processes and, and procedures, etc. So it is naturally evolving like that and a lot of companies are forcing it more. And as I said, like the CHRO and the VP talent roles that I'm working on at the moment, that's definitely one of the key remits is being incredibly human um, and accessible and proactive in terms of motivating employees, but also having, um, you know, a real 
influence on the executive leadership team because that's often I would say one of the things that's lacking the most you know in terms of board level is someone that really looks at the human side of things uh, I'm not saying that boards don't have EQ or empathy but um, certainly when making decisions it's something that is is perhaps one of the afterthoughts um, and that's maybe reflected in yeah things like employee churn lacking engagement as well I, I want to talk about culture um, I, you know, we, we've seen globally, we've seen what it means to have, you know, great company culture. And we've also seen what it means to have terrible company culture. But I feel that it's still easier to talk about what a good company culture should be rather than to build and mostly maintain one. So where does it start? Right. Like be, beyond the founders, does it start at hiring? Um, and does it start with nifty slogans plastered on the office walls? So, I mean, beyond that, what does it actually look like? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know my thoughts on that. I think we spoke about this the other week. Yeah, culture is not a slogan that you've got on your walls or in on your website or in a staff handbook. If you still have a staff handbook, I'm not sure if anyone does nowadays. Um, it's also not slogans that external consultants have come in and dreamed up for you. That's not your culture. It might be quite aspirational, um, but I'm very, very passionate about this point. Um, your culture is is your behaviour as as a business, you know, as individuals within the business. And yes, it comes right from the top. It really starts at the CEO founder, whoever's, you know, leading the ship. Um, your culture will then be mimicked by those underneath you. So if, if there's something that's not great um, at the very top level um, in terms of culture, you do often find that um, it doesn't just filter down, it, it can kind of expand because people see certain behaviours and, oh, well, if it's okay for them, then it's okay for me. Um, and so you start seeing, you know, groups of people displaying um, negative traits that, that aren't really in alignment with what you want your culture to be. So you really have to walk the walk um, in terms of culture. You know, if you want to have a business where, um, you know, you give immediate feedback um, but if it's negative you don't do it in public as a leader um, you have to make sure that you are you know paving the way for that that you're doing that with your direct reports even say at executive leadership level so it's very much action driven um, and everybody wants to have a you know a better culture they want to have this culture that attracts people and that people talk about um, and as you said, yes, there's a lot of talking about it, but very little doing. Um, and really all of those things, your employees should be the ones also talking about your culture. You don't need to do press releases about it and say, you know, we have a great culture, we're this, we're that. The employees will do the talking for you by being happy and motivated in telling those around you, you know, I work at this amazing place. It's not just because you've got, you know, a coffee machine or a fistful table or whatever it might be. People will say, employees will say, yeah, I've got a manager that listens to me. I understand what the executive leadership team are doing. I know the company's mission. I feel part of this business. And all of that stems from, say, culture at the top. And when, when you stop hearing your employees talking like that, that's when you know that you might have a problem with your culture. I feel like it's easy to manage when you're you know, a small team, but when your company is growing fast and you know, for whatever reason you have to bring in someone 
um, who hasn't been there from the start, who's going to be in charge of a team that has been there for the start from the start. I, I feel like that's you know that's that's bound to kind of be a little bit challenging. So how do you how do you work around that, and how do you how do you also build an inclusive culture that's not you know kind of um, rejecting anything that's new that's being brought into that company by new hires? Yeah, a really good point. And I think you know both of us in the region have seen that happen, especially as companies expand and they go from being that kind of family feel to what seems to be more corporate. And of course, there will be shifts in a culture over time. But for, from, you know, to your point uh, about individuals coming in, the culture should be really seen and felt. So when new people do come in, they just know what is acceptable, you know, what behaviours are acceptable. But that does come down to your hiring practices as well. So even though somebody seems incredible on paper and has the most amazing technical skills and track record, Ensuring that they are going to fit into your culture is more important, I would say, than the technical side of thing. You can compare, you know, 10 profiles all with similar background, um, but you have to choose that person who is going to, you know, emulate and live and breathe your culture. Because, as you said, it's harder to manage when you've got more and more people. So you really have to rely on each person that you bring in to be able to live and breathe the culture. And especially at the senior leadership level um, you know a founder cannot um, do everything but you have to rely on your team so you know one bad egg is um, yeah is, is going to be difficult in terms of trying to manage culture in an entire function for example um, but making sure yeah that the leaders that you're putting in place um, have a deep understanding in that and it, it's it's a difficult one to test I think that's where you have to rely on lots of reference checking making sure you know that you find people who've actually worked with this person you know even though they look great on paper perhaps they worked for a business that went through an incredible raise or IPO um, but you know what are they actually like to work with you know trying to dig a bit under the skin um, and find out more about them as people and as people leaders because um, very often we find that you know, people are excellent technically at what they're doing, but perhaps haven't been as successful on the people leadership side. And that's when you start seeing trends in terms of, you know, a lot of people leaving one particular department. I think as a CEO, founder or leadership team, you have to be very honest and um, address these things. And uh, yeah, because they tend not to go away on their own. So I think it's, uh, it's really important. So it's from the hiring, um, from the very early stages, but through the life cycle of an employee, you know, seeing if there's any trends. And sometimes this can happen when, you know, the employees themselves are a bit disengaged. They may not be, um, yeah, wanting to, uh, wanting to emulate the, the culture, even if it's a positive one. You said something that was key. Um, you know, when you do notice that things aren't necessarily going really well or as well as you'd expected them to go, I sometimes feel like, you know, we've seen a few examples of this in the region where it, it ends up being sort of glossed over and, um, you know, you expect sort of people to work it out amongst themselves. But I feel that very often, you know, they are glossed over and and they don't go away and they become much bigger, bigger, bigger problems across the company. So how do you how do you manage that? Because that becomes way more expensive to deal with. Oh, of course it does. Um, I think, as I said, by being honest about it, and I think if, if people look around them, 
I feel that it should be fairly clear to see if somebody is starting to become a little disengaged at any level. Um, and that's when you have to have those conversations with them. I mean, you should be having regular check-ins with team members, with peers anyway. Internal communication is something that also I think we're going to see a lot more of in terms of hiring or hiring that as a competency within potentially, you know, an, an HR skill. Um, but having that connection with people as individuals, as I said, being more proactive than reactive. I have a client now that's looking exactly for that to make sure that, that people are um, being listened to, being heard. And then I think you're in a better position to pick up when things aren't going so well. Now, you have to engage with them and you have to try and work through them. As you said, they're never going to go away on their own. It could be a personal issue. It could be something to do um, directly with work, but either way, you have to address it. Um, you know, the negative response, the negative um, things that can happen if you fail to, that person could leave. Um, perhaps some businesses feel that, yeah, they could just replace someone, but if that person leaves, potentially you losing so much IP, you're losing years of experience. Was, was this person a really strong mentor to other members of the team? You know, if that person leaves, will the rest of the team then feel maybe a little insecure or you know they've lost that person that they looked up to um would they then start you know looking for a new job so you know one person yes can have quite a significant effect on the business now obviously it's a completely different story if that person is you know not displaying the positive culture that you're trying to enforce and um you know you that's also another difficult conversation of you know how much how much do you? How much work do you put into to somebody that's maybe yeah really lost heart and, and doesn't want to be there anymore? Because that can also drag a few people down in terms of spreading that negativity, um, which you know we do see fairly often. So I have a bit of a tricky question. Um, some founders are great at running businesses or launching a business, but does it come easily to manage large teams to everybody? I, I kind of have a feeling that this is you know you mentioned it earlier. This is something that you also have. That's part of your job. You have to learn how to manage a team. You have to learn how to manage, you know, different uh, um, egos as well. So, what does it, you know, what does it mean when it's actually coming directly from the founder and the founder hasn't necessarily dealt well with the team growing and with the business growing, and they've sort of developed some toxic traits? I think, I think we're all aware of this happening um, in in some places across the region. And it's something that's perhaps not addressed as much as it should. In fact, it's probably never addressed directly, to be quite honest, I think, in my experience. Um, yes, a lot of founders, they're incredible at business, incredible te technically, um, but building a team and looking after people, that is a massive challenge. It goes back to you know, why we're seeing more CHRO roles now, maybe identifying that, yeah, I just I can't do all this, I need someone that knows people, because people are your biggest asset, but they can also be a real challenge to manage um, and in terms of when you referred to toxicity coming from the top um, yeah is that something that you need to look at in due diligence how do you identify that um, I think one of the key things and I know Khalid and, and I had this conversation a few weeks ago uh, about humility being um, one of the key traits that you should look for as, especially from your perspective Stephanie you know when, when investing is looking at someone that's humble enough to be able to identify that you know maybe they don't know everything and that they have to have strong people around them to kind of fill in the fill in the gaps in terms of decisions and considerations and also um, coachability um, because as you said as you're growing you're going to have 
many more issues that you're not prepared for. So I think it's always important to be able to kind of accept help and always be trying to improve on the things that perhaps aren't your strongest point and defer to others that, that have those strengths that, that you're lacking. Um, once again, say the humility comes into it. There's always going to be a lot of egos around, but how you deal with it right at the top is, is going to you know, help at the kind of more junior levels. Yeah, yeah, that's really well said. We can't stress enough on, on humility, and I think it's extremely important for founders to know what is and what isn't their strongest suit and when to ask for support. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about women in the space. And it's one, you know, it's one of those topics that whenever brought up tends to be centered around the question of fundraising and the funding share of women-led companies. And data seems to suggest that you know, MENA outperforms other markets. And that's also a very valid question, but I think it's still a narrow way to look at this. And here's where I'd love your insight. What's the situation like for women in the space? Are women presented with equal opportunity, but also um, what does it look like when sourcing? Yeah, I mean, just very, very much in general, I mean, we're both women as well, so we can talk about this quite openly and from personal experience. There is, um, it, it's a difficult one. I'm, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a feminist, but I'm an incredible supporter of women, as you know, but for their own merits, not just because they're females. Um, you know, I, there's, often quite a lot of box ticking going on in terms of when you're hiring females, you know, we need a female here. And I, I applaud the initiative um, that the government have taken to, to ensure that there's one female board member on every uh, mainland company. I'm not sure if that's ever going to filter down into the free zones. And I think generally there is an incredible desire to have more women, especially in senior positions, um, where perhaps, I mean, it's a much bigger issue than, than we can deal with here, but um, it's, yeah, it's having access to those, especially in technology, you know, we don't, we don't have huge amounts of females here. Um, I don't, it's a really difficult one, as you said, Stephanie. I'm, I'm also not a kind of supporter of just having like all female panels, for example, and advertising with that. I just strongly believe that everybody should be, you know, judged on their merit and, you know, their achievements, um, whether you're male or female. But there's certainly a lot that um, more feminine traits, um, you know, that they can be brought into a leadership team more often than not. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a female, by the way. I'm quite, you know, passionate about this. You know, not everybody has to be very alpha and very aggressive and extrovert. So things that are commonly seen, say, as more feminine are often disregarded in business um, as perhaps signs of weakness. And I think that's something that I would, you know, love to see changing. Um, but having worked in, you know, 15 years in tech and 15 years before that in investment banking, I'm very used to super alpha and super male environments. And yeah, I can't see that there's been massive changes over these years. Um, but I think there was definitely much more of a desire um, to be more inclusive um, here. And it's, it's always challenging in terms of recruiting females into the region. Um, it's, it's generally, I would say, the bigger challenges I have is, you know, if they've got a partner, um, and then you know having a partner also make the decision that that does happen obviously the other way as well you know when we're hiring male execs into the region and obviously getting buy-in from um, their partners as well but um, it, it kind of seems just an, a little extra challenge for us here in terms of 
regional. But we have the most incredible kind of local female talent as well. If you look across the MENA um, region in terms of technology, um, I think it's it's well known that there is some, yeah, great females coming through in actual, um, you know, technology engineering uh, from you know places like Jordan and Egypt. So that's something that I think we can really celebrate, and perhaps we will be, you know, a little bit more pioneering in this region than other parts of the world. I'm wondering, just as a follow-up to that question, do you feel that um, you know companies here are doing enough to build an environment where you don't have to push twice as hard um, because you happen to be a woman? Um, that's a tough one. I mean, I can only speak from yeah personal experience, and of course, yes, it is always more of a challenge, you know, to make yourself heard. Um, as a female, even though the desire is there for companies to be super inclusive, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure because everybody will talk about it and say that they want to, but yeah, it's only being within a business and then maybe talking to females about how they how they feel that they're being represented. Are they being given the same opportunities as male counterparts? Um, I know, obviously, we have the law now about you know paying everybody the same which is great and, and why shouldn't that have always been the case anyway um, but yeah in terms of real opportunities or treatment I don't know I think it would be very company specific. So 2020 has you know among other things brought a lot of clarity and focus on how we run businesses um, there's been a push towards remote um, processes have had to change companies have sometimes become more open to depending on uh, uh, on roles that were fully remote. But um, do you feel that there's generally more appetite for it? So that's one. And two, do you feel that it's become easier or are we still a long way from that? I mean, technology certainly helps us um, work remotely and even during COVID, the amount of new technology businesses that have sprung up purely to assist with remote working have made it very easy. Um, yeah, so technically, there's no reason why not. Uh, but I think we all know that you have to have FaceTime, you know, to build teams, to help really build and reinforce culture. I think it was, was it Amazon last week? I think they're going, you know, trying to get some people back in the office and there's a bit of an uproar about it. Um, uh, there, there are two camps on this. There are some people that love working from home and working remotely and others that really miss the engagement with their colleagues um, and peers and need to go back. And I think businesses have to find a way to be flexible. I think in Dubai specifically, we were always very used to having FaceTime. It, it was, it's very much a culture of being in the office full time. Um, in my experience, I didn't know companies that regularly allow people to work from home. And so it was, it was a challenge, you know, moving through COVID and having people literally having to work from home at that time where we just simply weren't allowed to go to work. And a challenge that everybody faced very well, I would say, on the whole. And um, But now I think there is an encouragement for people to come back to the offices. And I think there's also pushback from employees, you know, they don't want the commuting time. I mean, thankfully, we're quite fortunate in Dubai that most of us don't have huge, huge commutes, unlike you know my colleagues in London. Um, but they found that they could be more flexible with their work time. You know, they could maybe go to the gym at a different time, or they could pick kids up from school. Whatever it was, people loved that flexibility. So going back after such a long time to a nine to five or nine to six 
sit at your desk work environment is quite a challenge. And employers, I think, are starting to understand this and give flexibility, whether it's three days a week working in the office, whether it's um, work five days a week in the office, but perhaps give you 10 weeks a year remote working time, you know, work from anywhere. It kind of suits us here in Dubai, doesn't it? You know, because traditionally in the summer it's obviously very hot and a lot of people do like to travel and, and get out and, and why not as long as you're still working. And I think it has been proven that people can be as productive, if not pr- more productive, when they have that um, flexibility. I think there is some panic, you know, people want tools to record productivity, but once again, this is a cultural thing and going back to, you know, should HR be very digital? Um, yeah, I think that's where you have to have trust. You also have to have strong enough leaders leading your remote teams so that they know that, that people are being productive, you know, that they haven't seen a, a drop. And it, and it should be, it should be the results of your work. It shouldn't be how many hours FaceTime you're putting in. But that's, you know, that's a bigger issue of general people management, you know, being able to get the best out of them and trusting your people and allowing them to be autonomous. Um, so once again, that all goes back to culture, um, you know, whether you, whether you can allow them to do that. So generally, I do think, yes, employers have to be much more creative with that. I would say on the whole, most candidates um, that I'm talking to now, one of the key things that they ask for when we're talking about any role is, you know, the flexibility around it. Um, nobody wants to go to anything now that is 100% in the office five days a week. Um, so that's definitely, I would say, a key takeaway for any businesses to consider because the candidates, you've got the war on talent. So going back to how do we attract them, listen to them, you know, give people what they're looking for within reason. But yeah, the candidates that we work with, they're all asking for that flexibility. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that. So we've, we've tried this as well. You know, we've, we've had to be remote from day one at Nuwa Capital, but then, um, you know, earlier this year, we sort of tra- transitioned to more of a hybrid setup where we spent part of our time at the office and then part of our time working from home. And I, I realized that this, this FaceTime was absolutely crucial. But at the same time, I realized on the day that we were working from home, this just having agency over your time made you so made me at least so much more productive because I knew exactly when I needed to take a specific task and focus on that. And sometimes that works better in the morning when there are no interruptions. Sometimes that works better at 9 p.m. And I feel like that will become a key requirement if you're able to do it as a company to offer um, potential hires. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for most of us, physically, yes, and technically we can do our jobs remotely, can't we? Um, there's, not, there's not many businesses in the world that we work in um, where you have to physically be in a certain space, you know, as long as you've got your laptop, uh, then you can do. But it comes down to individuality as well. Some people are way more productive when they're in an office environment you know they're quite happy to do that and I think it's just really important to treat people as individuals you know having blanket policies um, just won't suit everybody and you know in order for people to be as productive and as engaged as possible yeah I mean treat them like adults really allow them to manage their time as you said you know when certain times of the day you're more productive there might be certain activities that you do where you prefer to be at home or at work and that should be you know and anyone's choice as an adult 
that goes all the way back again, as everything does, into culture. You know, where's the, you know, the trust in in the business? Do you trust people to behave, you know, um, in accordance with, yeah, the accept the acceptable, you know, norms of of the business? So, I just think it's something that is going to be continuously evolving. Listen to your people once again. This is why I think you know these senior HR roles are coming up as well because of this very very individual take and and the way you have to assess what's going to be best um you say it's it's certainly not putting blanket rules on everybody in the same way you look at benefits you know some people have benefits that others are not interested in you know tailor things treat people um yeah treat people as individuals and and listen to their um you know pay attention to their circumstances and and what motivates them what engages them how they work better and just support them in that way and you'll get huge amount more productivity out of all of your teams if you allow them to do that but it's difficult I think it's difficult for a lot of businesses to let go and to be completely trusting yeah yeah I'm sure I'm sure it is and I think it's a learning um, there's a learning curve so we're almost out of time I only have a couple of questions um, so we've you know we've both seen how the space is absolutely booming companies are growing at an un- you know, at unprecedented rates. Um, what does it look like for a company that needs to fill multiple roles? What's the reality of hiring today? You know, a lot of people, you know, will sort of look through different networks. Um, but what does it look like? How hard is it to really fill, let's say, the role of a CTO? Well, CTOs right now are, yeah, everybody's, everybody's looking for a CTO. Um, it's incredibly challenging. <clears throat> yes, of course, by all means, you know, look through your network. There is, a, there is a certain time, though, where you've probably exhausted your network or, you know, you've got people that are circulating around. If we just look locally here, you know, people that are circulating around and sometimes you maybe need some fresh blood brought into that kind of network. Um, and that's where it's great to kind of reach out to others and, and use other methods. But the CTO role in particular is in very high demand. Um, we're certainly seeing a lot at the very early stage startup where you're looking for somebody that's quite um, executional, quite hands-on, um, so an earlier stage CTO, but they still require them to have you know, the ability to build a team and the very strategic um, view. We're tending to find that our candidates at the moment are coming from APAC and India, really incredible quality candidates. Um, a few over in from Europe as well. Um, people are still willing to come to the region, but the kind of the technical skills along with the, you know, the team build and the size of business <clears throat> um, is, is coming from those areas. But once again, it's timely, you know, businesses just simply can't expect to find someone in a month or two now amazing yes maybe you do um but i think yeah the key thing for all of them is just planning and then in terms of volume i know a lot of business um leaders are struggling with the time it takes to hire in in terms of kind of interviewing um and and getting people through the process i mean they have very little time to even make you know make an hour for a for a meeting, so doing this in volume in terms of maybe hiring five key roles at a time, it's ridiculously challenging for them. Um, and that's where obviously people like myself come in and do um, a huge amount of the legwork. And then obviously having access to more of a global 
network rather than just the you know the one that you've built up locally over the years which as I said is, is very very important and crucial and is incredible hiring that comes from that but especially nowadays with with you know the the reduced availability of talent I would say um, you need to look um, you know much much broader and then all of the things we've discussed as well take into consideration it's it's no good thinking that hey I'm a great company and I, I want to get a person it's like you really need to do a sales job on you know on potential candidates to get them through the door they will be going on glass door and looking at your reviews that's no doubt they will be reaching out to people that work in your company as well and asking them what it's like to work there so um, yeah it's not being sneaky it's candidates doing their due diligence and I think yeah, founders need to be brutally honest with themselves and say, like, what would potential candidates find if they did that? You know, what are they going to... See, you know, I said about digging under the surface of candidates, but candidates will dig under the surface of your company as well. So just having huge, huge measures of reality in terms of hiring. Um, as I said before, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of businesses looking for people in, wanting them to start in a couple of months. It's highly, highly unrealistic. But also... Candidates aren't hanging around. Um, the time it takes to get, you know, engage them initially through to offer needs to be reduced. You know, once you've got someone, get them through the process quickly because they will be in many other processes. You know, don't hold them back, even though they're super keen to work with you, um, which they they very well maybe. Um, yeah, you have to you have to move quite quickly. So you mentioned companies looking to hire uh, talent with global exposure. And I'm wondering if there's been an actual increase in people looking to come into the region for work. You know, this, despite the pandemic, I have a feeling that um, not only has there not been a reduction in interest, but I feel like there's actually been more people interested in coming to the region for work, given all the opportunity. Um, I, I haven't seen any reduction at all. Um, every year I hear people talking about the big, um, you know, everybody's fleeing Dubai, it's the big expat exodus. Um, certainly that was spoken about hugely when COVID really hit. Um, and then last June, you know, tend to look at the cycles of like when school years finish, um, especially at exec level, and that's when people might leave. And every year it's the same thing. You know, I can count all of the people that I'm bringing into the region. I don't think that that reduced. There was maybe a slight bit of uncertainty um, from other people not wanting to leave what they felt was a steady job at the time. Um, but all of a sudden, it just, that, you know, those fears just, you know, diminished and, and people have been super keen. But also, we are a really attractive part of the world to move into. You know, we've dealt very well with the pandemic, our response, the fact that we opened up very quickly and we've managed to, you know, retain our you know easing of restrictions on the whole um is very attractive and i think people are, are taking the region a bit more seriously in terms of you know how how it's a great place to live and work and the potentials that they've got there so yeah no reduction at all and i just see more and more people are actually choosing to to come here uh, i have a lot of people that reach out globally saying that they are looking to move to the middle east i agree i actually i'm almost under the impression that there's more people looking to come now or um, am I wrong? Oh, no, I kind of feel that too. I mean, we don't measure it, obviously, specifically. Um, I know the population continues to grow here, but it's hard to tell, you know, what industry that comes from. But yeah, from our perspective, in terms of, yeah, VC-backed, you know, technology worlds, 
Um, yeah, lots, loads. Um, and I probably would agree with you, Stephanie, that I think that there's more now than there has been in the past of people, you know, proactively looking to move here. Great, Natalie, thank you so much. I, I, we're, we're out of time and I've actually taken a bit more time than I promised I would. Um, but thanks for, uh, thanks for your insight and for entertaining my questions. You're welcome, you're welcome. I know we can talk about all of these topics for a lot longer if we had the time. <laughs>